Amen. So we are continuing a series called a series, a series, a series, a series. I'm going to stop saying it now. We are continuing a collection of talks called Encounters with Jesus, where we're looking at in the Bible where Jesus has met people, what has happened, what has changed, uh, what, what is a recurring theme in that. And we're going to be looking at John 4, 43 to 54, and it's where Jesus meets, uh, heals an official son. And we, just previous to that, we have learned of Jesus. If you read uh, John's gospel, you would have seen that Jesus met a Samaritan woman in Samaria and working through this woman powerfully to save many people. And Jesus is continuing his journey through Galilee. And we have him now arriving at Galilee where we see this story of him healing the official son. It's the second sign recorded by John in uh, John's gospel after his a water into wine a miracle, which you can read off in John chapter 2. So we're going to read John 4, 43 to 54. It'll be up on the screen as well, and I'll move out of the way, hopefully. It should come up. Brilliant, there we go. Oh, it's kind of cut off at the bottom. Sorry, I'll, I'll read. Right, let's read together. It says this, After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Amen. We, uh, for those of you that don't know us, and I, I speak about them a lot, we have two little boys, Joshua and Struan. And I remember being jo- Joshua being born four years ago, uh, all £10, nine of them. He, he was a big boy, and everyone goes, poor Mary. And all was well with Joshua when he was initially born. All was well. But then we were just about to get signed off to go home. And uh, I remember it, that Mary was just not sure that he wasn't quite right. He was maybe a wee bit limp as we were holding him. He was seeming a bit pale. And she went and got somebody to do a wee test just before we left the hospital. And it turns out he had an infection. And we had, Joshua was in the hospital for 10 days. We were in for 10 days. And I always remember the, the sight of me being in the hospital and going back home and Mary by herself. Our little boy was down in, in neonates. And it was, it was tough. And I remember driving home at that point and having a conversation. Well, firstly, I was, just, I was just sobbing. I was just crying. And I remember just shouting out in my car, help, Jesus. Will you help? Will you help? And then I phoned a, a good friend. And you know the way when, 
you're just you're feeling really emotional and really vulnerable. You're speaking to a friend, and they answer and they go, "Hi, it's Thomas." Then I'm like, "Hi, hi, hi, hi," and you try to keep it all together, but there's this like deep guttural, can't breathe kind of speech. Uh, well, you know that Joshua's born. Well, and then I just bawl my eyes out, just to hit this guy, this good friend, on the phone, and we prayed together, and it was just the most. It was really precious. So we had those 10 days, which were tough, and we got home, and he's a big bruiser now. Uh, he had two pan of chocolate during the first lot of worship there, just to keep him quiet. You can see the bribery that happens. He's probably got another one in his pocket, but he's a lovely, lovely boy. But that moment taught me the importance of being real with Jesus. And to be honest, in my journey, it's broken down a real wall uh, to be vulnerable and to be honest and to lay it all before him. The rubbish, the fears, the doubts, the wobbles, the dreams, the insecurities. He can have it all. We must be a real people before Jesus. We must allow him into everything. And this morning I want to look at three cries or three shouts to Jesus that could be reflected in this passage. The first one being, welcome Jesus. From the Galileans as Jesus entered Galilee. Then the second one, help Jesus, when the official goes to Jesus for help for his dying son. And then praise Jesus, the official son and the household believe, looking at their belief after the miracle. I want to look at these three shouts. I want to look and I want to ask us, what are we shouting this morning? What is our heart cry this morning as we come in to church to worship the King of Kings? What does it look like for us to be real with Jesus today? So firstly, welcome Jesus. And we see in verse 45, uh, just get up here. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So we have uh, a welcome, but this was not really a welcome. Let me explain. We read in verse 44, it says, A prophet has no honor in his own country, yet, he, yet Jesus returns. And it gets you thinking, why? Why would you go back? And the reason why is it because, because it was part of God's plan. It was part of his redemptive plan that led to him dying on a cross, uh, going to his own people, the people that don't accept him. That's what he does. Jesus was brought up in Galilee. So this is a bit of a, a homecoming for Jesus. He's saying he won't be welcome in verse 44, yet in 45 it says he was welcomed. It's quite bizarre there, that, that uh, contradiction. But Jesus is, is spot on. This was an empty welcome. This was not a welcome based on who Jesus was or what the Word of God says. It was more like, ah, welcome Jesus. I've heard about this guy. Welcome. There was some excitement, but it wasn't a real heartfelt welcome to Jesus, the Messiah. I remember a Christmas of 1995, which is a while back, I realized, but Christmas of 1995, I got a basketball net. Because, I think it was because I was quite tall as a boy, and they thought it'd be a perfect present to get me. But uh, word was getting out that I had a basketball net. Word on the street was that Thomas had a basketball net. And suddenly, I was the most valuable friend in our circle, in our year at school. Uh, friends would be making bookings. I'd have little slots where certain groups of friends would come along in the afternoon, and then in the evening we'd get the floodlight on and we'd play basketball till late in the evening. 
Uh, the door was always ringing and word would get around, this is the place you go to play basketball. And my mum would come out with toast and butter and crisps and you should just get a loaf of bread and just fire it in the toaster and come out with toast. We'd have little half-time breaks and eat toast. Uh, and then I realized at one point during the game, there was like three people that I never even knew who they were, but I was like, welcome, come and play. So it was complete strangers coming along and playing as well. It was a well-oiled machine. And it seemed like an exciting time. I was part of new friendships groups at school. I was welcomed in. It was a little bit like that in Galilee. People got excited. Jesus is coming. He's done this cool water into wine thing. Check it out. But after a while, I, I, I soon realized with my basketball net that the impression I had of my friends, they weren't interested in who I was. And at that point, you went to go, oh, this is shit. Thank you, thank you. You know, I had many qualities to bring to friendship, but they weren't interested in me. And I would sit and think, if I took the basketball net away, would all these people come and spend time with me? Would they still hang out with me? You see, I was welcomed uh, with open arms, but only because of a basketball net. Jesus was welcomed into Galilee, but only because of a water into wine miracle at a party. They went, wanted more of the miracles and didn't want to get to know Jesus. wonder how many of us welcome Jesus into situations, but we don't fully welcome. These Galilean people weren't changing because they weren't surrendering. It wasn't a wholehearted welcome. There's a, a great quote by John Wimber, who is one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement. And this quote, it shows me that my welcome with Jesus, how I welcome with Jesus is, is really linked to my worship. Let me explain. What I worship will be what I welcome into my life. Uh, this quote says this, show me where you spend your time, money, and energy, and I'll tell you what you worship. Show me what you spend, where you spend your time, money, and energy, and I'll tell you what you worship. When I bring my time and money and energy to him, I worship the King of Kings, and I see the world differently. I see people differently. I speak differently, and funny opportunities come. The Holy Spirit is given free reign. I see him move. The past two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, we were away at a young adults conference, and it was the most incredible time seeing about 900 people worshiping the King of Kings together, having a hunger to see Jesus move in their lives and the lives of their friends that don't know him. And then last week I was away with some other leaders through the Vineyard uh, movement all through the UK. And I got absolutely floored by God's Spirit. Absolutely floored. And off the back of that, I just brought him my everything. I brought him all my mess. I brought him all my insecurities, all my dreams, and I laid it before him. And he reminded me of who I am in him. And then off the back of that, you know, after you spend some time in a comp, you're feeling fired up and you're feeling excited. You know, I'm, I'm in that place. And Lord, I pray that I never lose that, that we, we all have that excitement. But I was in the taxi going to the airport, and I was like, okay. Let's see what happens, God. And I was speaking to a guy who, the taxi driver, 
and he was a Hindu, and he starts telling me about, oh, how, how many lives he believes in, let people have different lives, and how many gods there are, and I didn't need, even need to do anything, and he was just speaking, into, and he says, so what do you do, and then I chatted a bit about the time that we had away, and uh, what I do in Inverness, and he was like, oh, I've been to Inverness, I've been to Loch Ness, and I was like, oh, that's only 10 minutes away, and all that time, I'm going, Jesus, what have you got for this guy, Jesus, what have you got for this guy, have you got a picture that I can give him, have you got something that I can encourage him with, and then the taxi stopped, and I thought, okay, I need to share. So I just had a moment with him, and he's like, you have a great time, a great flight back, and I'll maybe be up in Inverness sometime, we'll maybe see each other kind of thing. And I was like, and I just spoke to him, and I said, you know, I'm a, a Christian. I believe that God speaks to me. I've just got a picture for you. I've got a picture for you. And I've seen a picture of his heart on fire for people. You know, as he was speaking to me, there was a real warmth and a, a love uh, from him for people, the way he chatted. And uh, I just said, you know, Jesus sees you. And he's, he kind of went back, Jesus sees you, and he's pursuing you. And he's like, okay. And uh, you could just see in his face, you know, something was happening in that moment. And I was getting more, words were coming out. And if you'd asked me, I didn't really know what I was saying, but the Holy Spirit was using me in that moment. And it was just so, so encouraging. And I, I, I prayed with him and just left him to it. And who knows what will happen with that moment. How are we welcoming Jesus the greatness of God, the power of God, the beauty of Jesus. He really, really loves us this morning. He loves every single one of us. Do we fully grasp that? He loves us with an everlasting love. He is for us this morning. For those of us that are coming in and thinking, thinking of the people that are against us, thinking of the battles that we have, Jesus is for us this morning. He's for us. And he's eager to use us in the taxi situations with our friends. How are we welcoming him? You know, sampling Jesus from afar means that we miss out. The people from Galilee were only excited by the miracles that he was doing. He was there to save them. It was part of his journey to the cross, not to be a magician. Their attraction and welcome for Jesus was based only on what happened in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. They didn't want to be open for more. You know, maybe some of us are hinging our relationship to Jesus on one thing and one part. We've welcomed Jesus into our life based on one single experience, and we're looking for that again and again. But when we don't get that, we're feeling a bit disappointed. We have not to define our relationship on what we feel. We have to look at who God is. Rest on who He is and will always be. He's never changing. He is for us. He loves us. He loved us so much He gave His Son for us. And we exist for Him, not He for us. It's not what we get out of it. We worship Him because of who He is. That's why we sing songs. Not to get something out of it. You know, the people of Galilee, it was, what can he do for us? What's next? So let's ask him what he wants us to do by his spirit this morning. Let's not miss out. He wants to use each one of us. Welcome Jesus. Here I am to worship. So we have the cry, welcome Jesus. Secondly, we have help Jesus. 
And we see that with the official in verse 47 and 49. We see the cry of help from the official. Now, this is an official uh, more than likely to Herod. And it's a cry of help for his son who's at death's door. And this man has more than likely heard the news of the events in Cana. He's heard about Jesus rocking up at a wedding and turning water into wine. And he's traveled 20 miles or so to Capernaum, to Cana, to see Jesus. I want to ask us, what are the lengths that we go in despair to meet Jesus? Are we looking to Jesus in our anguish? Are we sacrificing everything to meet him? Are we falling on our knees for help? Where does our help come from? This last week, I wonder, did we need help? Where did we go? Where did we look first? We see in the passage, the official saying, can you heal my dying son? And Jesus responds, you are only interested in signs and wonders. It's an interesting reply from Jesus. It's like a a shot to the heart, isn't it? Almost here's this man desperate to see his son healed, desperate to see breakthrough. And Jesus says, you're only interested in signs and wonders. It feels almost like a rebuke. But many commentators see this as a challenge from Jesus to exercise faith in God through Jesus, that he perhaps seen Jesus as a magician of some sorts, that actually many gathered because this man was trying to find Jesus in his panic. Oh, there's my son running through. <laughs> Hello, Joshua. Mommy's there. You're coming this way. There we go. I wonder if you've ever been in a panic. Anybody ever been in a panic to find someone? Lost one of their children in supermarkets? Or has anyone been there? I, it's happened to me in a soft play once. And it was the most terrifying thing. Because you can't just run over aisle. You have to get in there. You know, and I'm sweating. And I'm like, where are you? And this place was huge. Crowds followed them because they remembered Jesus and what he'd done in Cana previously. But this man was desperate. Then they heard this rebuke. These people didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They just wanted to see some amazing stuff. But the man remained. It was a test of faith. And he goes to Jesus again. And we see here persistence. We have the unexpected request for us before Jesus. We have his initial rebuke, and then we have the person's continuing concern. And then Jesus surprisingly gives his instructions. I wonder, do we need to shout, help Jesus, this morning? Do we need to come to him for something that we need breakthrough in this morning? Maybe you've asked once or twice, and you've, you've given up. Maybe it's help for a friend or a family member, and we need a miracle. Persistence is acting with a sense of urgency, knowing that tomorrow is too late. What does it look like for us to have persistence? I wonder if we lived out of tomorrow being too late, what would we do at noon as we leave here? What would we do? What would, what would be different if tomorrow was too late? What would change? What would our faith look like? What if we lived with that mindset? For me, I would pray bigger prayers. I would get on the road and meet a heap of people that I, I know and love and go and hang out with them. I would take a risk on the prompts or the little words that, that God is dropping into my mind when I'm speaking to people in the checkout queue. I would use 
aisles instead, you know, the, the checkout operators instead of the self-service. You know, if you want to stir some conversations about Jesus, use the aisles instead of the machines. I always use the machines. I need to go back to the aisles and speak to folk. I would take more risks. I would be more deliberate. I would be more urgent. We see with the official son a real urgency here. We need to be persistent. This boy has to be healed. My dad has to know Jesus. My friend has to be healed. I'd love it if my children would know that Jesus loves them. That same, I wonder what it is, our heart cry this morning. What are we desperate to see? What are we desperate to see? And it's an act of faith from this official. We are believing that you're going to move in this, Lord. We have faith. I'll ask again and again because I believe that you can move in this situation. What do we need to bring afresh to God to stir persistency in? Maybe some of us are struggling because of the time that it's taking. We've asked again and again and again. And you know, cynicism is flowing. That's our heartbeat this morning as we come in to worship God. And the enemy loves to whisper, he's not hearing you. And I believe that some lies are to be broken this morning as I was preparing this. Some lies that have been bound around our hearts and around our minds. And we're to be reminded of the greatness and how big our God really is. How powerful our God really is. That we are not ignored. That people are not too far gone. That he has us and we are to press in. And uh, I know Mary joked about the name of our prayer gathering, but that is a, a really deliberate wording to when we gather together. We're to press in, to press in those things that we are desperate to see breakthrough in, those things, those people that we know and love that we want to bring before the King of Kings and say, Lord, will you, will you do something by your power? You know, for some of us, it might be a cry of help for refuge, that we would find his loving arms and just run into them. To know his comfort, that life is just chaotic, that life is just messy right now. And we just need refuge. In Psalm 119, verse 114, it says, you are my refuge and shield. Jesus is our refuge this morning. Uh, this week was quite a watershed moment for me. I started running. Uh, for the first time in about three years. And I ran three miles. It was, it's good, eh? It's all right. But I, I ran two miles, then I walked for about 15 minutes, then my, I ran my next mile. But I don't say that at the beginning. You know, if you ask me more, then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. But it reminded me of my previous fitness endeavors while I was running. And uh, I've got a cycling story. I've got a cycling, I've got a cycling story. A couple of years ago, I'd done the, a duathlon in Nairn, the Nairnshire Challenge, which is a 13-mile run and an 18-mile cycle. Uh, it was a good number of years ago. I used to train for that on Sunday mornings before church. A guy would take me out, give me a bike, and we'd go out at seven in the morning. And we went to a place called Cove, uh, just about two miles outside Aberdeen. And there was this big pier that you would go down the big hill. And we used to go to the pier, and then we'd get a, a quick cup of tea, and then we'd cycle back up. And it was the first time I was going down this pier, and I was like, oh, this is brilliant, go down this. And then I realized, I thought, right, what way are we going back? And so we're going back up the pier. So of this hill uh, next to the pier, so I was like, oh my goodness. And this hill was about that. 
I'm not even exaggerating. It was about that. It was a big, steep incline. And he raced on ahead. And I was still getting used to this bike. And I started well. I was cycling on. And I had to clip in pedals as well. I was just getting used to them. But I could feel my legs getting quite heavy about halfway up. And I reached that point where you know where you're balancing and you're trying to push and you can't really get any further. And I hadn't got the knack of unclipping myself from the pedals. So I was here in the middle trying to keep my balance and then I just fell over. And as I fell over, I just went, ah! And I tried to shout my friend's name, but it was more like timber, kind of like a tree falling. And I ended up on the floor. And as I ended up on the floor, I couldn't unclip myself. So my knee, I'd opened up my knee, there was a gash in my knee, and my legs were just so tired. So, and I was right next to a row of houses, and a man came out of his house, because he'd heard me going, ah! And he ended up unclipping me from my bicycle. And he invited me in for a cup of tea, which I thought, no, you're okay, thanks very much. But uh, thanks for unclipping me, and I ended up just walking up with my bike to the top of the hill. Why am I telling you this? Let me just find out. I think that picture of me being trapped in my bike, shouting out for help, that maybe some of us this morning feel quite trapped in a situation. We feel quite trapped in a pattern of behavior. We feel quite trapped in terms of our circumstances. We feel quite bound. And we have to cry out, help Jesus. You are my refuge. Take me to a place of safety. That that is our heart's cry this morning for a number of us. That we feel a bit helpless as we're coming in this morning. But there is no shame. When there is nothing left of us, there is God. He can pull us up from whatever worry is consuming us. Whether that be uh, eating, whether that be a depression, whether that be what we're watching on the internet, whether that be our thoughts, whether that be that we're drinking too much in the evenings, whether that be anxiety... We are to be a real people before Jesus. You know, refuge is a place of safety. You may be coming in this morning and it's tough and it's confusing. He is ready to comfort. He is ready to comfort. So how many of us need to just shout, help Jesus. Here I am. And then finally, we have praise Jesus. We have the, uh, the official and the family after the son has been healed. So Jesus says to this man following his second plea in verse 50, he says, go, your son will live. And then the man took Jesus at his word and he went. And the official requested that Jesus came back with him to Capernaum, 20 miles to be by his bedside and heal him there. He'd come to take Jesus back home. He'd come to get Jesus to say, come, my son isn't well. But the official, upon hearing the words of Jesus, took him at his word, and he left. And halfway through his journey home, he was met by people who told him that his son was healed. That's remarkable, isn't it? And they pieced together the times, and they found out that the exact moment that Jesus had spoke, his son was healed. When Jesus spoke those words, the boy was healed. Amazing demonstration of Jesus' power at work. And as I bring things to a close, I just want to share and remind us that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' words to the man, eh, he says, what does he say? Let me see. I've not got it written down now. He says, go, your son will live. Go, 
your son will live. The world would say, what a cop-out. You're not going to come? You're not going to come? You've done some miracles. Come, let me take you to my son. He's not well. You need to see him. You need to be there. But the man took Jesus at his word. He had faith. He traveled back full of faith after hearing Jesus' words. It's a long journey. But he must have had peace because it suggested, some commentators say, actually he spent a night. He spent overnight somewhere on the journey. So he didn't do the whole journey in one. En route back, he actually spent somewhere overnight. He knew Jesus had it. This boy was not even in Jesus' physical presence. He's maybe not even aware of who Jesus was, but a powerful demonstration of God's kingdom and power in a boy who was maybe not even aware of what his father was doing. And the household believed and no doubt shared. We often forget the power that Jesus possesses and that he gives us. This power is available to me and to you through his Holy Spirit. Power to heal the sick, to cast out demons. We can play. We get to play. Everyone gets to play. And God wants to use us on his team. He can turn a situation on its head from having no hope to moments of celebration and revelation. And that's why we're doing the miracle question. We believe that God wants to use us. That's why the guys shared some incredible stories. You know, we, got, we were away that weekend and we got a, te- a voicemail, it was, and we were in Pizza Hut. We had the opportunity to get a Pizza Hut. It's like the boys aren't with us. Let's get a Pizza Hut, take it back to our hotel room. We were in Pizza Hut waiting on our pizza and we were playing that little message. And weren't we just so emotional and stirred just here? And then we went and we spoke to this person in McDonald's. Then we went to Debenhams, had a little squish of perfume, but God moved. There's a lady who's working in Debenhams, giving her life to Jesus selling perfume. It's incredible. God is so good. And there is more. There is more for this city. And that's why we're doing that. That's why we're taking risks. That's why we want to be people of faith who go beyond ourselves, who have moments where we go, this is terrifying, Lord. This is not in my strength. It's over to you. Deep breath moments, heart racing, hands sweaty. Jesus, you better move in this. But it's okay being okay. It's okay to look silly as well. That's one thing. Just to speak over us as a church, let's be okay with looking silly. Let's be okay with getting it wrong. Because I'd much rather get it wrong 99 times to have that 100th time that changes the course of someone's life and I see them in heaven rejoicing and worshiping. So let's be a people who don't take ourselves seriously. And let's be a people who have fun doing it as well. That's one of our key values. We need to have fun doing it. We need to stir each other on and go, go on, go on, I'm praying for you. Tell me how it goes. Oh, well, you won't believe. I went and spoke to them and they just completely blanked me and ran away. They actually ran. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. We believe that we have the power of Jesus. We have his Holy Spirit. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what he's stirring in us when it goes a bit pear-shaped. Let's be a church that cheer each other on in that. And that wasn't in my notes, so I'm going to find out where I am. When we are filled with the Spirit, we carry force. We are strong because we are weak on our own. We are potent in God's hands against the enemy. The enemy hates it. We have authority. The name of Jesus is the most powerful name. Nothing trumps that. You know, whenever I'm, I still get scared. I'm 34 years old, and I still go into situations where I get scared. And even now, I would pray a little prayer, you know, 
Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Your name is greater. In Jesus' name, protect me. Because there's no greater name when we declare it over situations. There's no greater name when we go into environments that scare us, where we're out of our depths. In the name of Jesus, there is power. Many, Hudson Taylor says, many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources and thus attempt very little and they always fail. All giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence to be with them. The ability to hear, this is another quote as well, the ability to hear what God is saying, to see what God is doing, and to move in the realm of the miraculous comes as an individual develops the same intimacy with and dependence upon the Father. How did Jesus do what he did? The answer is found in his relationship with the Father. How will we do the greater works than these, which Jesus promised, by discovering the same relationship of intimacy, simplicity, and obedience? As a close, I just want to urge us, if, you're, if we are in that place where we feel our relationship with God isn't in a great place, let's be real with that. If we are feeling God stirring us for heading out with the guys, the miracle question, and, and, and just stirring a heart of evangelism, let's be real with that. Maybe we're coming in this morning, and actually when we've heard that heart cry of help, we're coming in with a struggle that needs to be drawn into the light. Let's be real with that. What are we needing to shout out this morning? Is it welcome, Jesus, with open arms? Is it help? Jesus, a cry for current situations of us or maybe others we know? Or is it praise Jesus, a real celebration of thankfulness and a recognition that of his great power? Let's stand. Let's stand. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to increase what you're doing in this room right now, Lord.